could just have the, the PowerPoint on the screen. I just want to show you two contrasting images to start with. If you were here last week, Sarah was telling us all about how her cat over the summer had had kittens. Here is one of them. A rather unusual kitten, as it has a paw growing out of the end of its tail, if you look closely. Um, but anyway, that's one of Sarah's kittens. There are none left, so they've all gone. But just hold that kitten in your mind for a moment. We bought a kitten just after we got married. And he was eight weeks old when we got him. He lived for 13 years. He overfilled his life potential. He was like a mafia boss in the local area. He was one of those kind of cats that that sort of dominated life. Here is another image. Anyone tell me what that is? It's not ice. It is marble. It's marble on a rock face, um, sort of close up. Now, this is what you can do with marble. If you've been to any sort of museums or you've been to somewhere in Greece where there's these kind of statues, you will see that you can make marble into something that is really quite impressive. So what's the difference between those two things? One of them, the kitten, is full of potential. It's full of life. It's an eight-week-old bundle of energy. The other, beautiful as it looks, is just simply subject to decay. Eventually, it will become unrecognisable as what it is now. So I want us to think, as we start out on this autumn term, what are we like as a church? What are you like individually in your own spiritual life? Are you like the kitten? Are you brimming full of potential and spiritual life? Or are you a bit more like a marble statue? You look all right from the outside, but actually the spiritual life within you is just decaying. It's not giving you life. You're not growing. You're actually just decaying. So we're just going to take a break from Luke's Gospel just for one week, and we're going to go into the prophet Ezekiel. And it's probably the best-known passage of the book of Ezekiel. And it's Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14, and it's the Valley of Dry Bones. Part of this will be read on the screen, and then I will pick up as we go later on. So it's verses 1 to 14, if you want to follow it. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, as we come and gather around your word, these incredible words from the prophet Ezekiel, we pray for open hearts. We pray that your spirit will blow and breathe afresh amongst us today. We pray above all that we might be people who are alive with you. And so just as we unpack your word, would your spirit that brought life to the word bring life to our hearts today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen little bit of context to the book of Ezekiel, just so we know what period of history we're dealing with. The book of Ezekiel, likely to be written between somewhere between 593 and 565. So if you know anything to do with Old Testament history, we're in the point of exile. So the Jewish nation, the nation that was under um, David and Solomon, has then split into two, and then both nations have fallen, and the little nation of Judah has then gone into exile. The prophet Ezekiel talks about a lot of different things. One writer summarizes the prophet like this. Um, This doesn't give you an excuse for not reading Ezekiel, but it just sort of gives you a flavor of what is in the book. I'm not going to go through that in detail. But basically what has happened is the Jewish nation has fallen apart. The worst thing that could have happened has happened. People have been exiled from their homes. I just want you to imagine for a moment, imagine today that we were taken from our homes and made to walk 700 miles away and put to live in a city where we didn't know anything about. Just think how that would feel. And just imagine that the reason for doing that was that we'd sinned against God and we knew it. Just imagine how you would feel. This is the kind of atmosphere that Ezekiel is prophesying into. Now this chapter 37 is, if you like, one of the peak crescendo points in the book of Ezekiel. It's the point where we get all this about resurrection. Now, some commentators say it's not only a peak in the book of Ezekiel, but it's one peak in the Old Testament. It's a high peak. It's a high point because he starts to reveal God's big plans. But the scene here is a pretty dismal one. It's a bit of a grim one at the start. Ezekiel is taken to a valley. Now, if I say I'm going to a valley, you might think a valley in this country has a river at the bottom of it. It's a fertile place. There'll be green trees and land and whatever. Not this valley. This valley is parched, it's full of death, it's full of decaying bones. It's subject to the kind of decay that has fast-forwarded from that marble statue. Everything has fallen apart. One person says, for it has come to this, Israel a whole is well and truly dead. So definitely dead that the bones have separated and preserve no personal identities. The temple is gone, the presence of God from the temple is gone, and here they are in a foreign land. The obedience that they were called to to the law and the prophets is out of the window. There was no future for this nation of Israel. It's just a pile of old bones. All the hopes of Israel being a light to the nations, they lay in ruins. And in the valley scene, without God present, there is no hope of anything. 
just more and more decay. Eventually, the bones will crumble and there will just be dust. That is what we return to without God. There are not even neatly buried corpses. It's just unidentified bones. We get to some good news. The Bible teaches that it's God alone who breathes life into human beings. We see it in the book of Genesis when it's God who breathes his breath into Adam and Adam becomes a living soul. We see it as we're born again in Jesus Christ. Listen to this from Ephesians 2, verses 2 and then 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but he made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. We are made alive. God is the giver of life when we're open to him. So Ezekiel gets asked the question. Just picture yourself. You're in this valley. There's these bones strewn all over the place. And God says, can these bones live? I don't know what your answer would be. What does Ezekiel say? He is faced with this mass destruction. And he says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. It's not even in his gift to answer this question. This question, the answer lies in the sovereign will and the sovereign will of God alone. And so in verses 4 to 7, we have the most incredible instruction to Ezekiel. Prophesy to the bones so that they might be brought back to life. And the Lord will bring potential and life where there has just been decay and death. This is what we start to see happen. And then verse 9, the bodies are formed, but there is no breath in them. And then we have this next prophecy. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And the Lord speaks, and then in verse 13, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you forth from them. Down in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. So what's all this about? Fascinating vision, fascinating imagery. What, it, what is it about and what on earth does it have to do with us? Well, I think it's obvious this is about some kind of resurrection. This is a resurrection event that is being seen here. Now, when we're reading Old Testament prophecy, to some degree, we have to get our minds back 2,600 years. Now, that is not easy because there is not a lot that survives 2,600 years. And so we're trying to think in a way that has, has not, is no longer the way that people think. But when you read Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament prophecy often has multiple layers of fulfillment. So God, in his tender mercy, will allow his prophets to see things both near and far. And I think this is what we start to see here. Now, there are lots of interpretations of this passage. If you go online this afternoon and say, what is Ezekiel 37 about? You'll probably find something very different to what I'm talking about today. That does not mean they're right and I'm wrong. It just means that there are multiple interpretations of this prophecy. I'm going to stick with three different ways of looking at this and mostly focus on one of them. And this is all about resurrection. There are three great resurrection events that I believe Ezekiel is being allowed to see by God. And the first one is the one that has yet to come. The great end of time resurrection of all who are in Christ Jesus. The ancient creeds say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Do we believe in that? Do we believe that one day we will rise out of our tombs and we will be with God forever and ever? That is what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. And this is a glimmer of what Ezekiel starts to get. But I'm not going to focus on that today. We'll move to the next one. We've sung about the resurrection of the Son of God already today. You know, Jesus came, he died, he was buried on the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures, and we celebrate his resurrection. Oh, happy day, we've sung. Because Jesus has risen, we too can rise. 
He's the firstborn from amongst the dead. We can be part of the end time resurrection because Jesus has gone before us. I don't want to talk about that resurrection. Even though it's the most important and wonderful thing we can ever talk about. I'm not going to focus there particularly for today. The other one is the resurrection of the kingdom of Israel. Now, some people reading this passage suggest that actually what Ezekiel is seeing is a future resurrection of the people of Israel. You know, something that has not yet taken place. I'm going to shelve that for a moment. Um, That's a bit of a complicated one to talk about on a Sunday morning. But what I want to talk about is the near resurrection of the people of Israel that people in Ezekiel's lifetime would actually see. The year 538, King Cyrus of Persia, he um, conquers the Babylonian Empire and he starts to let the exiles home from Babylon. And they come back in dribs and drabs. You can read all about it in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they come back home, and they start rebuilding their houses. They start rebuilding the ruins, and eventually the temple is rebuilt. But it's not a complete resurrection. There is no king or ruler. The country is a province of a great empire. One day they will get a bit of home rule in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's never the complete completion of Ezekiel 37. That's why we have to look at this in different ways. But God is at work. As the people start to take their steps home, it paves the way for the nation to be resurrected so that Jesus can come. Jesus comes so that we can then be resurrected. Do you see how God's plan is working? It's stretching out through these different resurrections. So as those exiles start to return home, it's a bit like the kitten moment. It's a bit like that kitten of Sarah's that is full of potential, but not a lot has happened yet. Full of potential. So what does it mean for us? Not got any closer to that yet, have we? What does it mean for us? Start of autumn 2023. Our period of reconnection as a church, we've drawn a line under that at the, the weekend away, um, or the, week, the day away just in the summer. Where are we heading now? Well, as a leadership team, we, we met on Thursday. We've been chatting about this over recent months, and we have a really real sense that God is going to turn us outwards, that we need to be really thinking. You'll see this in our notices today already, that there are things that God is calling us to. They're all about sharing the gospel and making sure we're equipped to go with the good news. But, you know, ultimately, we don't need a fancy plan. We do need to plan, obviously. We need to have things that we're doing. But we need one thing if we're to be effective witnesses for Jesus. And the one thing we need is the Holy Spirit. We need the breath of God in us. Otherwise, we fall into human ways of behaving. Otherwise, we just try and run stuff like human activity, rather than be infused with the Spirit of God. We need the breath of God. Now, for God's people in Babylon, they had to be taken on a journey to get to the point where they were ready to go home. They had to get to the point of realizing the enormity of their sin, of getting to a point of lamenting of what they'd done and coming in repentance. They realized their bankruptcy before God. If you've got a Bible in front of you, turn to Psalm 137. You might recognize these words. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, I'm not going to sing, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord whilst in a foreign land? They get to realize what they've lost. They start to lament. They start to pour out the heart before God. So turn to Psalm 44, another exile psalm. Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? 
We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Do you notice a parallel between that psalm and Ezekiel 37? Our bodies cling to the ground. We are brought down into the dust. We're brought into the valley of the dry bones. But help us, rescue us, rise us up again. And so it's out of that lament that repentance comes. You know, often before God can move in renewal, repentance has to come. We have to say sorry for all the times that we put other things in front of God. And in exile, the people of Israel, hunger is growing. Now, I think there are two types of hunger. I've been thinking about this week, this, this week, probably based on my experience of the last week or so. There is hunger that drives you, okay? Now, quite often, I like to eat lunch very early because I get really hungry by midday. So if I'm in church, I will be thinking, is it socially acceptable to eat lunch at 12 o'clock? And once I've got past that, that sort of sense of pseudo-guilt, I get my lunch out and I eat it and I feel better. Because if I don't eat, I get driven by a sense of thinking about nothing but food. Anyone else like that, or is it just me? Please make me feel better about myself. There's, there's some hands up. And we, we get that driven. We're driven to hunger, that yearning for food, that deep desire to eat. And it drives us into the kitchen, and it opens the fridge, and it takes something out. And we're driven by hunger. You know, we need to pray that we have kind of have that physical hunger, that desire, that hunger for the things of God, that drives us, that pulls us in, to the ways of God. But you know, sometimes we don't just have that kind of seeking hunger, but we show something else. We show symptoms of hunger, even if we don't realize it. I want to tell you a a bit of a story from last weekend um, that will teach me to read emails carefully. Last Sunday afternoon was the NWBA AGM and celebration. I know Elaine was there. (laughs) She's following the same face as me because she knows what's coming. And... um, It started at four o'clock, and the last time I went to one of these, there was an AGM that lasted for an hour. The church that I then went to somewhere up in Burnley provided a really nice buffet, so I ate some food, had a celebration um, with the speaker and whatever, and then came home. I hadn't read the email that said, there is no food provided. So I'd been in church in the morning, I'd been up early because I was playing in the worship team, and had a dedication, so stayed afterwards, not really eating a great deal all day. Get there, expecting food, there is no food. I had two little squares of flapjack, you know those minute things that you need a microscope to see? One of those bits of flapjack. The whole thing finished at quarter past eight. By which point, I'm not driven to hunger, that that has gone, but I'm starting to show symptoms of dehydration and going dizzy. And I can feel myself sat there getting wobblier and wobblier. Are those words? I'm not quite sure. But I'm thinking, you know, Am I safe to drive home? Is this going to be okay? So I had to go and find some food to eat before I dare even get in my car. Now, if you chat to Claire afterwards, she will tell you that me without food is not a good experience. You know, I get hangry before all these kind of things happen to me as well. But these were symptoms of hunger and thirst. There were also symptoms of a lot of other things, and I could have mistreated myself. I could have taken paracetamol to try and stop a migraine coming on, but it wasn't that. As soon as I ate, the symptoms disappeared. I believe there are symptoms that we can show of spiritual hunger, even if we don't realize that we're spiritually hungry. And they will manifest themselves in my heart, in your heart, in the life of our church, if we're not really seeking after the things of God. 
And it may be that today, actually, we need spiritual renewal. We may even need spiritual resurrection in the way that we see in the Valley of the Dry Bones, that we need God's breath to breathe life into us so that we are more like he would call us to be. So what are the symptoms? Apathy. When I get hungry, I get apathetic. Can't be bothered to do anything. My energy levels sag. You know, if we get spiritually hungry, but we're not realizing it, we can have a general apathy towards the things of God. We may have lost a passion for worship. We may have lost a passion for prayer. Well, we may have never had those things. And we perhaps need to find them in the first place. We may be clinging on by the skin of our teeth to some kind of residual legalism that keeps us coming to church or keeps us watching online, whatever it might be. But actually that spiritual hunger has turned into apathy. It may be that priorities have shifted. Everything else takes over from the things of God. You know, rather than come to God first in prayer, we do everything else, and then if nothing else works, we then say a little prayer at the end. So our priorities have shifted. They've gone all the other way around. And anything, anything takes priority over our spiritual life. It's a symptom, and we need to identify it. Third thing, we've talked about this before, disordered love, where we get involved in self-love rather than the love of other people. And our spiritual hunger, our spiritual famine, if you like, manifests itself because we no longer do the things that Jesus calls us to do. And we start treating ourselves and we start loving ourselves at the expense of loving other people. And that easily spills out, doesn't it? A church is only ever as strong as the sum of its parts. And if we are like that, then actually that will impact those around us. You know, over the years, I've become increasingly convinced, and I put myself in this category totally, that as Christians, we often live off a measly spiritual diet. God calls us to his great banqueting table, and we're there eating scraps. We're there sort of not feasting at all the things that God would have us, and we become parched and dry, and we try to find meaning and purpose in other things of life that will never satisfy us. We had a really great holiday at the beginning of July, or the end of July, sorry, and we went to Spain. And it was just after that heat wave, so it wasn't, it was hot, but not too hot. And um, every morning, Claire and I walked down to the beach. It was about a 40 minute walk. There was a really nice cafe overlooking the sea, and we sat and had morning coffee. We decided we gave up fairly early on to try and raise our boys early in the morning. That was another Ezekiel 37 moment. Um, you know what teenagers are like. Um, so we come down to the, the beach and we're sat there and we're drinking our morning coffee. And I remember saying to Claire, wouldn't it be great if we could do this all the time? Wouldn't it be great if this is what life was about? If this was it, if this was the dream that we were sat there overlooking the Straits of Gibraltar, looking over to the coast of North Africa, absolutely wonderful. Now that's great. You know, don't hear me wrong at all this morning. God loves it that we enjoy his creation. Relaxation and rest are built into God's plan. And Paul Wheeler was talking about that just a couple of weeks ago, about the need for Sabbath and the need for resting and switching off. And it can be just as wonderful, can't it, to sit in the garden and relax or to go into the Peak District and to enjoy God's world and find rest and relaxation. But you know, in every human soul, it's very easy to sort of think that more human experience will satisfy spiritual hunger. You know, it won't. It won't. We can chase after all kinds of things, thinking that it will plug that deep longing that the human being is made for, for God. Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, I offer life and life in all its fullness. And he is not coming with a second cup of coffee on a tray when he says that. It's something rather more significant. 
He's offering us life infused with the breath of God, where we delight in him, where his spirit works in us, where we are found contentment in him, where our future lifts our eyes so we see the dawn of eternity breaking, where we have contentment in our heart, not because the circumstances around us are always wonderful, but because we know that Jesus is with us and he walks with us and he talks with us and he's there every day, where our present is lifted by the breath of God. So where's your heart today? Where's my heart today? Do we recognize a spiritual hunger within us? Are the symptoms going to lead to the seeking, or are we just going to treat symptoms with things that actually won't cure it? Are we going to be led back to the things of God? Are we going to look at the God who would call life in the valley of the dry bones and say, Lord, would you do that to me? Would you bring life and potential and all those things that you have for me into my life? Would we pray for that as us as a church, that we would be infused by the breath of God, that we would become all that God wants us to be? I always count it a privilege um, that when I was in my late teens and early 20s, I was part of a church that I guess now we would probably say was going through a period of renewal and... um, It wasn't perfect by any means. You know, if ever you find a perfect church, leave it immediately because you'll wreck it. So this was not a perfect church. But it was a church that God was moving. We were seeing people coming to faith, probably one a week on average. You know, that kind of number. It wasn't full-on revival, but it it was getting pretty close. There there was gifts of the Spirit being used in a good way, in a positive, life-affirming way. There was a sense of holiness in the church. When you came to worship, there was a sense that actually God would do stuff. When you prayed, there was an expectancy that actually God was listening. When the word was opened, it was brought alive by those who were speaking about it. Now, we could say, well, that was in the 90s. Things were different then. You know, there were no mobile phones to distract us. Churches were generally bigger than they are now. There was all kinds of different things going on. But, you know, God has not changed. God has not changed. Do we long to see that kind of renewal in our church today? Do we long to see God moving? Do we long to see... That the renewal, that God can breathe life into us and change us. You know, the same God who spoke life into the bones in the dry, the dry bones in the valley, the same God who poured out his spirit at Pentecost is the same God who is in this room today. The problem is not God. The problem is us. And that our symptoms of hunger, we're not seeking often after the things of God. So as I look at our church, at the start of autumn. There is so much to be thankful for. And let's never be on a downer on ourselves. There is much to be thankful for. It's great to hear people wanting to come and talk about baptism. It's been great over the summer to hear testimonies of God being at work. It's been great just this morning, you know, hearing about what we're able to do through compassion and all kinds of different organizations. But I always think Ezekiel 37 brings us the question, is what we see what God has for us? Or does God have more? Well, when I look at dry bones coming to life, I think God has a lot more for us. God has a lot more for us. Spurgeon, man famed for a big beard and some great quotes, great Baptist preacher. I love this quote. He says, decayed churches can most certainly be revived by the preaching of the word. Absolutely essential that we are a word-focused people. And accompanied by the heavenly breath from the four winds. O Lord, send us such revivals now for many of thy churches need them. Do we recognize our need for the breath of God, for the Spirit of God to draw close, to fill us, 
again. Just one last thing about Ezekiel. Ezekiel had to be obedient. He had to prophesy to the bones. God told him what to do, and Ezekiel had to get on and do it. And it was when Ezekiel was obedient that God moved. When we're told to be filled with the Spirit, we have to be obedient in wanting to receive God's Holy Spirit and being open to do that. So I just want to leave us with a couple of questions today. The first thing is really, will we examine our own hearts? It's a challenge that I think Simon brought to us last week as well, about giving Jesus everything. Will we examine if we're showing symptoms of spiritual hunger that we're not dealing with? And then secondly, very simply, will we seek the renewal of the Holy Spirit, that we may become all that God would have us be? I'm going to pray for us in a moment, but just to say, um, we'll spend a, a bit of time just in reflective worship, but as the service draws to a close, we will have our prayer ministry team. If you would like just somebody to quickly pray for you, that you would be filled afresh by the breath of God, that his spirit would bring renewal and new life into you today, please do go and pray. Um, I'll pray for all of us, but then please do take up that offer of being prayed with in a few moments' time. So I'm going to ask the worship team if you would come forward. The rest of us, if you're able, could I ask you to stand, and we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in each of us. Loving God, just as we think of that image in Ezekiel 37 of your breath bringing life, we come before you with our own hearts. And Lord, where we're showing symptoms of spiritual hunger, I just want to pray that you would help us to have open hearts to you today. Lord, where we're trying to satisfy spiritual hunger with just human stuff, we pray that you would bring us to lament and you would bring us to repent. We thank you that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be forgiven, that we won't be driven into exile, but if we turn, we will be welcomed as prodigals. And so, Lord, would you help us to come to you today? Lord, I want to pray for each person here in this room this morning. We just pray, breath of God, that you would blow afresh in this place. Where we have become lifeless, would you bring life? Where there is life, would you bring more life? Where we need reviving, would you bring revival and renewal? Where we've yet to taste anything of your goodness, would you help us to taste something of you for the first time? So just in the stillness, Holy Spirit of God, would you move? Would you come? Would you minister to our hearts today?
Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood upon their feet. A vast army. Lord, would you call us to be your hands and feet? Would you keep breathing your life into us today? Consuming fire, fan into flame. 